rap game changed with one name. Jules ain't the slain anything on this plane. Remains are found when the best kept secret get heated. You went platinum with a ghostwriter, so in the game you won, you cheated. My slang bang when you need it. Man enough to pull a gun, be man enough to squeeze it. Damn, you don't believe it. Hi, welcome to the White Bikini. My name is Marie White, and joining me today is our global trotting Nicholas Banton. Woo! It's good to be back. Let's start 2024 off with a bang. Today is Thursday, 1-11-2024. How was your trip? It was great. Uh, the weather was fantastic. Yes, it rained uh, quite a bit, especially the first few days while I was down there in Jamaica. But the last half of my trip, the weather was absolutely fantastic. Didn't really have to use the air conditioning. The days were pleasant, bright and sunny. So I had a really wonderful time with my family. So thank you for asking. How was your how was your New Year's celebration? My New Year's celebration was very good. Um, I also celebrated my birthday with an old friend, had some drinks, had nice conversation. It was very positive start to the new year. Fantastic. So what's on tap for today? My dear partner, I think I well through WhatsApp, I text you. It popped up while you were away that Allen Iverson wants to rejoin the Sixers organization in more of a management capacity. But it kind of stopped me thinking, where is Allen Iverson? He was a big part of Philadelphia history. Absolutely. What do you when I say Allen Iverson, give me one piece of information you know about him. Phenomenal athlete, a man who played infinitely bigger than his stature, the heart of a lion. This is a man that Shaquille O'Neal rated as one of the toughest players he's ever faced. A man who was not afraid to go toe to toe with Shaquille O'Neal, standing at what, 7'2, 300 pounds. That was Allen Iverson. And I think my, because you and I have been talking obviously the last couple of years, I, I think my like reinvigoration with the NBA is fascinating, but that's another conversation. I couldn't get too deep into the weeds, but do you remember when Allen's, Allen Iverson actually came at Michael Jordan? Do you remember that big play that the happened challenge, in the 90s? Yeah, the crossover. Yes. I remember when there was an ISO, an isolation play where Allen Iverson was at the top of the three-point arc, isolated with Michael Jordan and put this nasty crossover on him had uh, had Jordan going one way Allen Iverson went the other way and scored on him and mind you now Jordan is a man of pride so Jordan did not forget that when I was digging into the article I think I remember it happening at the time but I think that was the first point that Michael Jordan was like oh another generation's coming for me yeah and that is scary I not to you know digress too much I still remember one of the last plays I saw Michael Jordan when he was playing for the Washington Wizards of all teams. And it was a breakaway. Basically, nobody in front of him. I, you know, not basically. There was no one in front of him. Michael Jordan went up for a dunk and just not get off the floor. Did he retire right after that? I think he retired that season, That after that season. Um, it, we should probably even do a podcast on a, you know, a man who left the NBA at, at the peak or semi-peak of his career to play baseball. That That's, was a little wacky. It's wacky in the sense of when you are the best and you've reached the mountaintop, what else is there for you other than to create a new challenge? A lot of us, we live our lives where we just want to get enough to feel a little bit of comfort. I think these guys are addicted to the competition. They're addicted to the stress. And I think sometimes it's their egos. Their egos are just way bigger than their talent. Michael Jordan was a terrible baseball player, but the greatest basketball player of all time. And so, you know, there, there's that thing inside of you is like, well, you know, if I'm like the greatest basketball player of all time, the greatest athlete in the sport. Why can't I be? Why doesn't it translate to, to baseball? And it just doesn't because they're different skill sets. You know, uh, 
a surgeon won't necessarily make a great pilot. I don't know. I think it goes back to that trauma conversation. There was something else. You know, let's give Michael Jordan some empathy. Wasn't his father murdered? Yes. I don't remember the timeline, though. It's it's gone back quite some time now, but I don't remember where the death of his father, the sequence of events in terms of leaving base, uh, leaving basketball, going to baseball, going back to basketball. I don't quite remember how those sequence of events line up. I remember when he became a baseball player, I thought this is wacky and he's my generation. I was kind of like, Michael, time to take a step back. Right, right. I, I think everyone did. Everyone was skeptic to be to be gentle and kind to Michael Jordan. Everyone was highly skeptical and incredibly dubious that he could parlay his skills on the hardwood onto the baseball diamond onto the baseball field rather so but anyway we're talking about ai this uh this <laughs> I morning i know it's it, our conversations always find these <laughs> rabbit holes and we keep chasing the rabbit alan iverson was born june 7th 1975 in hampton virginia a little quick information because it was important for me because i i just knew who he was in the 90s I knew his explosions. I knew what was happening. But at the time, I was in a different phase of my life. Now I'm more interested where people came from, because as you know, I'm very big in processing trauma correctly. Right. And and I think processing trauma incorrectly can destroy your life. And I think he was in the period of no one knew what he was experiencing. And all of those outbursts were judged rather than try to be understood. Yeah, I mean, this was the era, kind of the waning era of suck it up, tough it out, and go play era. It's funny, of all things, a conversation about, here's another rabbit hole, Patrick Ewing, who played for the New York Knicks. And I remember seeing pictures, uh, the video doing the broadcast of uh, the Knicks games with Patrick Ewing sitting on the sidelines between plays with two gigantic bandages on his knees the bandages were wrapped around his knees with ice packs and mind you now in today's era Patrick Ewing would be under what's called load management where they would sit a player out deliberately to reduce the wear and tear on his body but that's just that's just you're absolutely right about that mentality and and now we're I want to believe I want to use the word more enlightened I think we're more enlightened and I think the whole idea of tough it up tough it out and bear it for who for what to borrow a phrase from Ricky Waters, to what end? Yeah, I, I think we, I, I think they're managing players much better. And I think Allen Iverson was at the tail end of that generation. And I think he got caught under the tidal wave. I agree. I agree. However, I will say in his defense or towards his case, at least, Allen Iverson was a phenomenal player. He, despite being in a, well, I think our generation, or at least this current generation would regard as a toxic world in terms of the way owners and athletes interacted and the way the coaching staff interacted. I mean, these guys were popping pills and, you know, with, with dislocated joints and broken fingers and torn ligaments and just popping painkillers and going out there and playing. And I think we've talked about this a few times. I was working with a younger colleague and something she said has stuck with me ever since. She goes, you know, all these companies, they're just like a, a modern slave ship. You know what? That's what, listen, capitalism <coughs> has its benefits and it has its drawbacks. And for all the creature comforts and the standard of living that we enjoy in the West as a result of uh, the capitalist enterprise, there are some significant drawbacks and there are people that grease the wheels. We call them, you know, in America, we call them, you know, the poor, we call them immigrants. It, there, there's, al there's always an underclass. In the Gilded Age, there were the first wave of uh, European immigrants and the Southern, you know, sharecropping, formerly enslaved African-Americans. 
a generation before they were enslaved African-Americans that were greasing the wheels to keep the system going. And so the millennials and the Gen Zers are pushing us to open our eyes and, and see what it costs. But let's let's face it, the baby boomers are still in charge. They still control the purse strings. And when you control the purse strings on any society, you dictate what happens. Allen Iverson, as we know, was an American basketball player known for both explosive play on the court and controversy away from the game. And I think this is true. This is very important. He became the first great athlete to be strongly identified with the hip hop movement. Yeah, the tattoos, the cornrows, the baggy clothes. He, Allen Iverson, he was a he was a badass. He I'm was, sorry, and, and genuinely <laughs> so. Like he was. We talk about being your authentic self. Alan Iverson was essentially, I'm not, I, I can't say that he was the, the first because I don't believe that's the case, but Alan Iverson was the one who popularized the full body tattoos. Like, I mean, Kobe Bryant got a tattoo, you know, Kobe Bryant was squeaky clean and he was a, an amazing player. But in terms of transforming the look of the NBA, uh, Alan Iverson was responsible for that. I don't know if you remember this and I could be wrong. So please, uh, someone shot us out on uh, social media. I got this wrong. But the NBA instituted what I would call the Allen Iverson rule, where if you were not playing, you had to be on the sidelines wearing a sports jacket or something like that, because the baggy clothes, the sweatpants, the hip hop look, the NBA was losing its mind over that. Do you you are not wrong, because believe it or not, I remember that. And I was like, what? Yeah. Yeah. And that that was essentially to my mind. I was like, oh, that's the Allen Iverson rule because his his influence on all these young guys because in some ways, basketball, even though it's a team sport, it allows you to be very individualistic. You know, they're called ball hogs. If you want to take the ball and dribble it from one end of the court, from the defensive end of the court, all the way up to the front court, you could do that without passing the ball to a team member. And so because Allen Iverson was far and away the best t- uh, player on the team, he got a lot of shots. There was a dark side to the Allen Iverson era is that you had a lot of young kids who wanted to showboat and had no idea how to play on teams. And if you, here's another weird rabbit trail. If you want to know why the rest of the world has caught America in basketball and surpassed it, it's because you have a generation of players who are amazing individual athletes, but they don't know how to play the team game. And in Europe, you have great individual players, but they also know how to play the team game. And that's why you have these amazing athletes that can you know, essentially fly down the court, take off from the free throw line and do like windmill dunks. And then you put them on a team and the team is terrible because they, they have no concept of passing the ball and running plays and sharing and, and playing defense. It, and in some ways, that's part of the Allen Iverson legacy. But what they fail to remember is that Allen Iverson had to take the ball because he was far and away the best player on a really bad 76ers team. Agreed. And I know that some people see people like Allen Iverson kind of a narcissist, but for the team he was playing with, no one else was backing him up. He had to jump in. Yeah. And he was the one selling the tickets. He was the one putting Allen Iverson jerseys went from were were among the most popular jerseys in the league. Remember, you still had you still had Jordan. You still had Pippen, you still had Patrick Ewing, you had Charles Barkley. I think the Sixers had moved by the time uh, I think Allen Iverson became solidified as a star. I think Barkley had moved on to Phoenix. But I mean, you had kids in Japan wearing Allen Iverson jerseys. He was a global phenomenon. I regret not pursuing more Sixers games when like Charles Barkley was playing. It's just something I was too busy going to concerts. I regret not seeing Allen Iverson 
Did you ever see him yeah, play? I did see him play. And oh my uh, God, what year? I'm jealous. Uh, it's got to be the late 90s. Uh, I mean, the, the man was what? They list him as six feet. I, I think at best he might be five foot ten. Like, I guess he's six feet in his sneakers, maybe 160 pounds, 170 pounds. And this guy was going toe to toe, night in, night out with men 10 inches taller than him 50 60 70 80 pounds than him who were hitting him to hurt him and he just picked himself up and kept playing yeah because you know he was born in 75 michael jordan was born in 60 that's a big age difference yes it's a huge difference so he was coming into the league as a rookie when these players were solidified they were in their mid to late 30s at that yeah, point they're, they're well-seasoned athletes who had spent many years in the nba by that point just i i'm curious just Briefly about his history, athletic success and controversy came to Iverson at an early age. He attended Bethel High School. He led the school's gridden football and basketball teams to state championships his junior year. I never knew that. Yes, he was a state champion uh, quarterback, I believe, for his football team. I didn't know you were so into Allen Iverson. It, you know what? Who wasn't? I mean, if you're a kid of the I 90s, was. if you were a kid of the 90s, Allen Iverson was just part of just part of the landscape. At age 17, he was jailed after being accused of starting a racially charged brawl in a bowling alley, but his conviction was later overturned because of lack of evidence. He was offered a scholarship to Georgetown University in Washington, D.C., where in two years he averaged 23 points per game and won two Big East Conference Defensive Player of the Year awards before making the decision to leave school to play professionally. And what were those two awards for again, Marie? Defensive what? Player of the Year, right? Yes, correct. And that's the. I remember I was, I was alluding to this before. The players that tried to emulate Allen Iverson played, tried to emulate his offensive games. But people often forget that Allen Iverson was an amazingly good defensive player in terms of steals, in terms of altering player shots. He was committed to playing both ends of the game. And I think one of the legacies, unfortunately, of Allen Iverson, as I was mentioning earlier, is that the kids who idolized Allen Iverson forgot that he played defense, which ended up hurting their game because Allen Iverson was a committed defensive player in addition to being an exceptional scorer. And I guess really, I think his size ended up helping him because he could move quicker yes. than like a Shaquille O'Neal. Oh God, his, his, he was he still might be the fastest player in the last 20, 30 years. I don't know if any player who's faster than Allen Iverson getting up and down the court, weaving through, uh, weaving through the defense. I think he was uh, for, I don't remember how many years, but he was the steals leader in the NBA because he would basically just zip through the other team and just grab the ball, get in the passing lanes because he could get there faster than anybody else. And I'm jumping back to that rule about wearing the suits mm -hmm. and it, it just popped into my mind. It is the white community trying to Motown the basketball. Yeah. Era. Yeah. It's it's because, listen, this this was their property and they're like, yeah, we need these guys because they put people in the seats, but we don't want it too black. Do, I, do you remember that line from uh, Tropic Thunder, that very offensive <laughs> line? You know, don't go too dot, dot, dot. I, I think the NBA, the NFL, all these leagues that where you have a majority of the players who are non-white, that's their attitude. The black black athletes bring a certain swagger, they bring a certain level of entertainment, they bring a lot of skill and talent to these uh, to these leagues. But the owners are 
typically conservative older white men and they want to fill seats but they don't want to make who they perceive to be their audience make them feel uncomfortable. Although he was one of the smallest players in the league, standing six feet tall and weighing 165 pounds. Right, I got that right. He immediately made a big splash leading his team. Well, I apologize. After he left Georgetown, he was chosen first overall. Got a this is a long time ago now, in the 1996 National Basketball NBA draft by the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, I still remember the video. He was that baby-faced little guy and, you know, smiling from year to year. <laughs> I know, I still remember that too. 96, that's a long time ago now. It's almost 30 years ago. Anyway, um, we'll move on. His quickness and his signature crossover dribble often left even the best defenders helpless. And this is exactly what we were talking about. Off the court, his best defenders did not approve of his baggy clothing, flashy jewelry, and braided hair were not not part of the image that the NBA wanted to promote. Right. And during his early years in the league, he clashed frequently with coaches and team officials, was portrayed as selfish, disruptive, and had several runnings with the law. Yet he followed it. He developed a huge following of young fans who identify with his rebellious image. And to a certain degree, all those things are true, but there's also another side of it. I mean, he was, if you call him a selfish player, then you should ask the question, who didn't he pass the ball to? Alan Iverson. I don't think he was selfish. I think he was stuck with people that weren't helping him. Yeah, and, and, and I think he had no, up until the season where they went to the NBA Finals and lost to, to the Lakers, which was the 2000, 2001, somewhere around there. Alan Iverson was head and shoulders above the next best player on the team. And I'm not advocating for selfish basketball. There is such a thing as selfish basketball. But when it came time to taking taking the first shot, the hardest shot, the last shot of the game, it was always Allen Iverson. No one else was capable of doing what he did. Do you have an Iverson jersey? I don't. I wish I did. That would have been uh, that would have been a great keepsake. I want one now. And I, I don't want to get too into the details, but I do want to understand what happened with him in the Sixers. And, you know, Despite the controversies that followed him, he proved his talent on court, taking the league squirting title in 98 and 99 and most valuable player honors in 2000 to 2001 while guiding the Sixers to the NBA Finals. I had forgotten he, I thought he was traded much earlier, but he was traded in the 2006 to 2007 season. He was traded to the Denver Nuggets and that ended his career with the Sixers. He had a really long run, but by that point, the Sixers had depleted their... The Sixers were just a mess by, well, by that he, point. They he, were paying... I think they had like... They were paying three or four coaches at the same time because they had terminated their contracts. They had all these old athletes that were star players in, in college and maybe star players on other teams that were basically coming there and just stealing money. These guys were often injured. They hardly played. And when they played, they were just ineffective. And when I say that, he did come back to the Sixers, but it's kind of like that Michael Jordan baseball moment. It, the, the era had passed. Yes. You you have a certain amount of time to shine where you're at your peak, especially as an athlete. And when that window closes, it's it's clo- it's gone. That's it. There, there is no more. There is no there's no surgery necessarily. There, there are no skills or shoot around or drills that you can do to make your body operate like it did when you were 
20 years old and it, it happens to all athletes football is is just absolutely notorious for that i think the eagles i don't know if they still do it but they're the eagles for a long time as soon as you turn 30 you they were looking to move you yeah and i i think too it's kind of like you i think everyone and it's not always when you're young everyone's giving like that peak 10-year run right and you really have to capture everything you need to do because it's very quickly that there's a shift Yes, because there's, that's why, there's yeah. somebody coming to take your job. And that's why you need to keep everything in order while you're given that that moment in the universe. Yeah, because it's that, very short lived. Yeah, when that window opens, especially for these elite athletes, you have to seize it. You really do. Um, you know, if you're just uh, a Joe Schmo businessman and you can start over in your you know late 30s, start over again in your 40s, start over again in your 50s, maybe even start over again in your 60s, as difficult as it gets, you know, as you get older. When you're an athlete, that's it. Their biological limitations. You, you either seize the moment or you regret your past. But it's, it, I think his life got a little strange after that. He was traded to the Denver Nuggets. He was an extremely proficient scorer. And in 2007, he was the sixth fastest player in the NBA to score 2,000 career points. However, it didn't work out in Denver. He went to the Detroit Pistons, but the Pistons finished the season in 2008 and 2009 with a losing record and were swept in the first round of the playoffs, leading Allen Iverson and the team depart ways. And then I had forgotten he's like, I have to be honest, by the mid 2000s, I wasn't following him. Mm -hmm. He signed with the Memphis Grizzlies. Do you remember all this in 2009? Yes, I do remember. Like, honestly, if you had quizzed me, I would not have remembered the details. But as you are explaining, I'm like, yep. Oh, yeah. I forgot that happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I remember that now. He retired. He announced his retirement from professional basketball, but instead returned for a second stint with the Sixers after signing with the team in December 2009. The return of the popular Iverson led to an upswing in home attendance, but it was short lived. Yeah, that was a marketing gimmick. If Allen yeah. Iverson could play, Allen Iverson would be playing, you know, during that last season. It was just a marketing ploy because the Sixers are horrible. They're, they stunk. You needed to put butts in seats. You needed to sell tickets. You needed to sell box seats. And so that was a it, that was actually a genius marketing move. And I wouldn't say that people fell for it, but I think people just loved Iverson. They wanted even a shadow of his former self. Iverson was a pretty exciting idea for a lot of fans. And so that little gimmick, as short-lived as it was, proved to be a little bit of excitement to bring excitement around the team or to the yeah, team. And he left quickly. And then this is where it kind of, again, that Michael Jordan, you know what it is? Let's call it what it is. He jumped a shark. Yes. Yeah, that's fair. Yeah, he... I didn't realize he went to a Turkish team. It just kind of went on and on. But the real point of the podcast is, is you know, he's approaching 50. And I do think they could utilize him to speak to a different generation of yeah. players. Alan Iverson has got street cred. You know, Michael Jordan has credibility. He doesn't have, I don't know that Michael Jordan has street cred necessarily the way that Alan Iverson does. If you want to talk about great athletes, Michael Jordan is, is just revered. But what Allen Iverson has that Michael Jordan doesn't is that especially within the black community, I think people can can relate to Allen Iverson, whereas Michael Jordan seems to have pulled like an OJ Simpson. He became rich and famous and decided I'm not that black anymore. Whereas Allen Iverson celebrated the black community, celebrated the, the, the kids on the on the they celebrated the hip hop kids walking down the street with their baggy clothes and made them feel like they were uh, the fashion leaders of the world. They were the style leaders of the world. They made them 
school so that kids in white America, in Iowa and Missouri and places like that, they too started wearing Allen Iverson jerseys and baggy pants and, and stuff like that. So I think that's what he brings. He brings a level of authenticity, interesting enough, that appeals to both black and white communities. Whereas Michael Jordan is like a baby boomer guy that you want that hangs out in in country clubs. Michael Jordan's a snob. Yeah, I think that's a really good way to put it. I I think I think he does give a lot of money, but he does not want to get his hands dirty. Where I could see Alan Iverson bopping around Philly helping out. Yeah, I can see I can see that. I I, honestly I don't want to get, you know, lean over, lean over my skis uh, too far because I don't know what he has done. Uh, He meaning um, Michael Jordan. He may be this amazing philanthropic philanthropic soul that gives away millions of dollars every year. Um, I haven't, personally I haven't heard heard of him being that guy. I know he doesn't get out into the community. I think he isolates himself from what I would call urban America. He seems to be, yeah I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> Here, here's some money for your charity or whatever but like, whereas I think Alan Iverson is you're right. He gets up in the community. I can see Alan Iverson being the backup of like a, a turkey truck at Thanksgiving, handing out turkeys and, and, and taking pictures with little kids. Whereas Michael Jordan, I think, is, is kind of removed from that. I think Michael Jordan, Charles Barkley, they are my generation. They thought they became successful when they were living like white people. You know what? I'm glad you said it. And I didn't. That's exactly what it is. I think I can say it as a white person. Yes, That's yeah. what happened. Yeah. That was our goal to join country clubs, to live a nice, easy life where I think the next generation, they want to live a nice life, but they're going to get out there. And I, I believe Alan Iverson could change the city. He could. I mean, listen, we've got a, a forward thinking mayor who seems to be off on a, taking a first step, right? Like, I think the, the, the city seems to be giving her a chance. And, and maybe we should follow up with her ideas about, you know, public safety. But I think you're right. I think Alan Iverson falls well within that category of approachable leaders. And I think the Sixers would be stupid to let the opportunity to let the Alan Iverson as an ambassador to let that opportunity go by. I think he may need a little bit of a chaperoning. I think there's certain things that you he needs some help with. But I think they couldn't do much worse than to lose what Allen Iverson represents, because he's still young. Allen Iverson is, 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 is still a young man, so he has the energy to go out there and do the things and and big up the Sixers, as uh, as, the, as the phrase goes. In 2010, Iverson retired a Sixer, and in 2014, the Sixers retired his number three jersey. He never formally joined the organization after he retired, but he told, according to the Philadelphia Inquirer, he told Rachel Nichols on this week's podcast of Headliners that he feels like it's time to be more involved. And he's been quoted, which I think is very sweet. My role there is nowhere near what I think it's supposed to be, Iverson said. I love Philadelphia so much and I love that organization for everything they did for me. They made me a household name. Besides what I did for them when I was playing, I still want to give more of what I have. And I think he's got the energy, but he, along with the energy now, he has the maturity. Oh my God, you're reading my mind. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think he has matured. He has a perspective to see, oh wow, I was given this one in a eight billion chance you know there are only a handful of people that even in the nba but just worldwide that rose to the level of prominence that alan iverson achieved he's not interested in coaching he would like to join the franchise um and his advisory role i think he'd be great in that and i think just as a general brand ambassador for the 76ers and the nba i think he'd be fantastic in that role which i think i know he has done that 
I, I don't know necessarily if he's done it on his own, but I, I believe as a brand ambassador, as a as an advisor to the to the league, who else to ask about young kids? young black kids specifically coming out of tough circumstances than Allen Iverson. Yeah, and he goes on to say, and it, it tears me up a little, I want to be there for any type of advice I can give, like if they need my help with anything, anything that Allen Iverson could do, that's what I want to do. I get emotional talking about this because I thought I thought I should have been doing this. You know what I mean? I look at other teams and I see former players and they're just around. The final quote is, anything that I have as a basketball savant, just use me. Yeah. I love that. I absolutely, that's a man who's like come around to realize how incredible a life he's had because of, just to use a phrase, a God given talent that he maximized. Think about it. What kid is going to tell Alan Iverson, you don't know me. You don't know where I'm coming from. You don't understand me. He's the OG. Yeah. I mean, seriously. You could tell that to maybe Michael Jordan. You could tell that maybe to Charles Barkley. You could even tell that to Kobe Bryant, rest his soul. But you can't tell that to my to to my man Alan Iverson. And that's important. These kids crave authenticity. Nobody's no. I I can't see a kid out there going, "You don't know how tough I had it," or look him in the face and say, "You know what? You are not as good as me." I mean, they may say it, but I, I think his career speaks for itself. So I think in terms of connecting with some of these younger players, I think in terms of expanding basketball, in terms of reconnecting with the city, and I think in terms of salvaging and healing, what's her, what's her word, uh, Marie? Trauma. Feeling the trauma, trauma that he he's dealt, you know, he, he endured during his youth. I think this this would be absolutely perfect. The question, the only question I have, and and I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, is is this has this Allen Iverson come to realize that keeping a schedule, showing up on time, being there when you're supposed to be there, has that Allen Iverson essentially come to fruition? I mean, he's 48 years old. We I didn't want to get into the messiness of his family life. He does have about five children. Right. So. I'd like to believe at 48, you know, not that he'd be perfect, but I think he has a better understanding of getting to things on time, acknowledging children. I'm going to stay positive because that's my yes. thing for 2024. Yeah, I, and I think until we see evidence to the contrary, I think it's fair to give this man um, the benefit of doubt. I think he's demonstrated his connection to the city, his commitment to basketball, certainly on the court, off the court. Yeah, it's a little, maybe we have a better debate, but on the court, no one can commit uh, question his commitment to basketball, his commitment to the city. I think he really genuinely loves what the Philadelphia 76ers represent. And I think even if they have to essentially coach him or shepherd him along in, in the role, I think a relationship between Allen Iverson and the 76ers would be an absolute boon for the 76ers and the NBA. He signed with Reebok because he lost a lot of money before yeah. his rookie season. Allen Iverson has a lifetime contract with Reebok and will receive a $32 million trust on his 55th birthday. And honestly, I don't think this is necessarily a money thing. Uh, could he parlay some of this new attention into money? But it's not going to be the money that he made. I, I think I did a rough calculation a long time ago and I think between his NBA contract or contracts and his endorsement deal, I think Allen Iverson must have grossed somewhere in the ballpark of a quarter billion dollars to around $250 million. That's most of that is just like evaporated. But I, I think I think he I, I still stand by the idea that I think he's wised up. And I don't think it's a money thing. I don't. Yeah, As, I agree. You know what it is? I think now he's approaching 
He's approaching middle age. Right. 50 is middle age. I don't think 40 is. I think 50 is the new middle age. And I think he's at a place like many of us. We start to look back. He might have lost a parent. There's those dynamics that change that something happens that pushes you into another category one Friday afternoon. And I think something's happened. And I think Philadelphia needs him. I think he can speak to a younger generation. I believe he wants to bring back the love in the city city of brotherly love. And we need it. Yes. And that's what we're talking about. We're off to a new start. You know, we, we have a positive, energetic mayor who's engaged. Uh, not thinking about, you know, her next vacation. What better step to take for the 76ers than to embrace Allen Iverson and use him in the role that I think would absolutely benefit both the Sixers and basketball at large? I like what the mayor said. You know, everyone she's bringing in does not need a GPS to find West Philly. And that says it all. It's a funny statement, but and I think Allen Iverson doesn't need a GPS to connect with some of these young athletes, especially the ones that are coming from impoverished or tough circumstances. Do you have any connections to get Allen Iverson as a guest? I think you do. I think as our esteemed program director, that's false within your category. I'm just the guy that pushes the buttons. Do you want to talk about who are sponsors? I'd love to who are this week, Mary. Our sponsor is the shops at Market Street, Westchester's premier barbershop providing the freshest cuts, but more importantly, the Isley Banton, the biggest smiles. 134 East Market Street, Westchester, Pennsylvania. Please follow them on Instagram. You can contact them through chatting. You can book appointments. They were voted, you know, the Westchester, you know, Chester, forget Westchester. They are Chester County's, Delaware County's premier barbershop. Thank you for joining us today on The White Bikini. Please make sure to follow us on The White Bikini on Instagram and follow the podcast on Apple or Spotify. One love to the old school niggas dead in jail that tried to raise us. Even the ones that tried to blaze us, but couldn't even grace us. So them bitch ass niggas y'all killing don't amaze us. Ayo, hey, it's my nigga Jules, representing bad news. Ayo, hey, my homie, set that shit. Everybody stay fly, get money, kill and fuck bitches. I'm hitting anything in plain view for my riches. BA spine is filling up ditches when niggas turn bitches. Dying for zero digits, I'm a giant, y'all midges. I know killers that kill for a fee that'll kill your ass. Believe me, how you wanna die fast or slowly? Fast as a road, slow as a roly poly. I bought your shit and was weak, trashed it, now you owe me. All the hardcore niggas know me. I ain't knocking, I'm just gonna bust up in a motherfucker. Taking anything that's rightfully mine. Plus AK rifles and nines. Vazee crew thick designs with jewels to shine all the time. Ain't nothing sweet about this rate of mistake. I got niggas where you eat shit, sleep and beat your meat. Die reaching for heat, leave you leaking in the street. Niggas screaming, it was a good boy ever since he was born. But fuck it, he going, life must go on, niggas don't live that long Put hoes and wigs when niggas think they hand strong Got niggas hollering with jewels dead wrong on this song This type of murder don't need no hook Just 40 fucking bars from the mouth of a crook, y'all